Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor of Me, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm Jody. Damn it, I'm James. I tried to, we're talking about doing the intro, and Jody's like, I didn't know if you had something special. I'm like, no. And then in the remaining two seconds, I'm like, do I do David Lee Ross, or do I go, ah, 200? <laughs> uh. <laughs> I love doing that. <laughs> And I was I, like multiple things went through my head and quickly those two were the last on my list. And it's like, and I'm James. <laughs> <laughs> well, because of the nature of this episode, I didn't know if you had wanted to do something special with the intro. So that's why I was asking. And because I actually was about to do it right before I asked. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I actually thought I've, I've been thinking maybe for episode 250 that, that we could do something because that's, you know, Quarter okay. of a thousand. Woo. <laughs> hey, damn. <laughs> Thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. We're not super far away from that. I mean, you'd think a year at one a week, but with our Halloween Blitzkrieg, yeah. probably closer to the end of this year. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, welcome to episode 200. Woo, bitches. Yay. He might have a quick answer. Oh, you do, yeah, because it's a do you know of. So yes, you do or you know. Oh, uh, okay. Have you heard of Dry January? I have, but only because you posted something about it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, and I think half of the people misunderstood what I was saying. Because <laughs> I've had people go, oh. "Why don't you wait till February?" My post actually says, "For anybody wanting to do Dry January, let me know. I will come get your alcohol." Meaning. I will drink it for you. <laughs> yeah. I have actually considered doing drier January, which means which means cutting Not as back much. A, yeah, cutting back a little <laughs> bit, which means I'll drink the amount a normal person does. I don't see you doing that. <laughs> well, it's it's day six and and it's it's going well so far. Well, uh what the weekend of the first, which was what the the or whatever, yeah, yeah first and second. Yeah. What what weren't great, but starting this week, yeah, that's not bad. Okay. That's it's also because I weighed myself on the third. And I'm like, holy crap, that busted up knee and the holidays made you a fat bastard. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. I, I I'm prefacing this because tonight, as we record, I did have before second episode right now. Uh, mm-hmm. before our first episode, I had an ounce of Malort. But that Lord. <laughs> that was medicinal because. The house has sickness in it, not me, but others. Um, so more keeps me healthy. Yeah, keep telling yourself that. <laughs> it does. <laughs> there, there are there are research theoretical methods to doing a one person sample size study. And I won't get into that this episode, but maybe I'll mention it when we get to our heavy metal and science episodes. <laughs> okay. Ah, so I'm prefacing that because then. In our previous episode we just recorded, I had about two ounces of scotch. Uh-huh. And now, because it's our 200th, I've, I've always wanted to try brandy. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and that's... So, so I assume you're having brandy. Well, I'm going to have a little taste of brandy, but then I've also got here Athletic Brewing's All Out Stout. Oh. Athletic Brewing Company, they are known for their non-alcoholic beers. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, so it's a non-alcoholic extra dark, uh, less than half a percent. Uh, it's good. I, I'm, I'm not going to really talk much about it. I've already had it. It's roasty. It's good. It's. I'd rather have a Guinness. And honestly, as far as calories go, it's not much less than Guinness, but enough that after my scotch and Malort and this brandy, those few 30 calories, <laughs> you know. Yeah. After I, I try this brand, and the reason I've always wanted a brandy is because when I was a young man, um, my, my grandpa at Christmas Eve, when we'd all go over there, even as a kid, he would let us do the shot the adults did if we wanted. And, and uh, I know brandy was one of them. I mean, brandy is a distilled wine. The one I got was aged because some are aged in barrels. Some aren't, you know, this one was. That's good. That's not bad. I'm not a wine person, but brandy, yeah, it's, it's distilled wine. So it's, it's good. It's good. Cool. It's not bad. It's, it's, you can tell it's wineish, but it's a liqueur. It's good. I do prefer, cause I know I sent you and Rob a picture of it a month or two ago. I got some apple brandy back in November, I think. Mm-hmm. Now that shit goes down really well. <laughs> I like that. I'll, I'll finish off that ounce. I poured myself ounce and a half. Cool. It looks like as, as, as we talk, but I'm also going to yeah. pop my all out stout and right, I'm ready whenever you are. I, I am. Uh, I'm ready too. Yeah. All right. So if you remember from our hundredth episode, we, we had talked in episode zero and episode uh, episode zero about doing a heavy metal hard rock history podcast and yeah. realize that we have more to talk about than just that. Mm-hmm. But for a hundredth episode, we did record the first half of 1964, which would have been our first episode or maybe first three episodes, whatever of yeah. the original podcast. And we, you know, we thought episode 200 will finish out 1964. Yeah. So I guess we could have done, instead of the usual intro, we could have done, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Hard Rock History Podcast. Which is why I asked if you had anything specific in mind for the intro. Yeah, I kind of thought about that too, but people are already probably confused by the way we babble. So. Uh, yeah, well, I, I remember when we did the 100th episode that came out, people were asking are you changing the are you changing the podcast no 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 this was what it was supposed to be but <laughs> we, we changed it already see that's <laughs> you didn't listen enough <laughs> <sighs> so uh so yeah welcome back to, <laughs> to 1964 when last we left off <laughs> we were we were getting ready to go into uh, the second half of the year Yes, which would be Smarch. What? <laughs> Sorry, July. 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 Yeah, we July. finished June with some animals. Yes, yes. On uh, yeah, so on on July second, uh, nineteen sixty four, President Lyndon Johnson signs the Civil Rights Act of nineteen sixty four into law. Kind of. Yeah, I, not that we we're going to get much into that, but yeah, you know, there there are current things still happening with that legislation enactment and being taken back and back and forth <laughs> yeah yeah um now the next thing on the list actually takes place in september but is actually kind of apropos to what i just said and oh shit i just realized what the date was on this september 11th oh huh yeah 1964 in relations to johnson signing the the civil rights act during the Beatles' second tour of the U.S., John Lennon announces that the Beatles will not play to a segregated audience. 
but but sticking with July in, instead of jumping ahead two months um, on uh, July 18th, but but sticking with the same theme. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1964 after all. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, kind of kind of something that we've heard about recently, back you know, a couple of years ago in 2020. July 18th, 1964, six days of race riots start in Harlem, New York. They started after a white police officer shot a black teen named James Powell two days earlier. And this might have been the spark that ignited more riots around the country that summer. Case in point, in August 28th, more race riots break out in Philadelphia, largely over accusations of continued police brutality against blacks. So, you know, all the stuff that we saw in 2020, really, I mean, it's, it wasn't anything new. I mean, it would have been new to us, you know, like, like me and James, because we didn't, we didn't live through this in the 60s. But, right. yeah. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. A, a few days later, July 27th, uh, the United States sends 5,000 more military advisors to South Vietnam raising the number of U.S. forces there to 21,000. Advisors. <laughs> yeah, advisors, yeah. Um, on August 4th, the USS Turner and the USS Maddox are attacked in the Gulf of Tonkin. The U.S. bombs, bombs North Vietnam the next day in retaliation. And three days later, the U.S. Congress passes the Tonkin Resolution, giving President Johnson expanded war powers in Vietnam. And now... For something completely different. Yes. <laughs> On August 26th, the Kinks release You Really Got Me, an early example of distorted guitar. I There's actually a note here to reference a book that we've, I think we have mentioned before, um, Robert Walzer's Running with the Devil. He has a section in there on distortion. Dave Davies, uh, lead guitarist of the Kinks, in an act of frustration brought on by several factors, took the back off his Elpico amp and slashed it with a razor blade. The, oh, the, Dave, co Dave. the cone of the amp, not the <laughs> back of the amp. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, Dave. <laughs> Calm down. Yeah. Well, but yeah, yeah. We've mentioned Robert Walzer before, uh, a couple times anyway. Mm -hmm. and, and I know he's going to come up again when we get to episodes eventually. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely want to suggest his book, The Running with the Devil. It's an excellent book on, uh, on, on metal. It is. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and, and at this point, because we did these notes before we did the podcast we're doing now, mm -hmm. are several notes on distortion. Yeah. Which, which we did a complete episode on this way back in January 2019. It was our 24th episode. And this outline is really what helped me make that whole episode. Yeah. But I'm going to give it again because here they are. <laughs> well, you should. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, it's, there's a, a long line of history and distortion. And, and we think of it starting in this era, you know, with Dave Davies and the Kings and then mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But it actually had been occurring for decades. Yeah. Notably, starting with Junior Barnard, who was born in 1920 and passed away in 1951. So he died a, a young man well before 60s. He played with Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys, who were a thing from 1929 to 1969. And he was the first to create a fuzz tone which was based off the strength of his picking, which induced overdrive through the amplifier. Yeah, overdrive. Overdrive's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And wow, this will tell you how old these notes are. Uh, yeah. I've got a few notables in here. Um, Elmore James, mm -hmm. 1918, 1963. Check him out. Does some distortion. Yep. When I made these notes, I list Chuck Berry, 1926, still alive. Oh, yeah. No, he's, yeah. He passed away in 2017. So we made these notes in, what, 2016, 2017, right before he passed away? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Yeah, damn. So yeah, anyway, uh, but everybody knows Chuck Berry, but there's mm -hmm. Guitar Slim, uh, also known as Eddie Jones, born 1926 and passed away in 1959. So again, passed away before the 60s even, but yeah. he experimented with distortion a decade before Jimi Hendrix and I bring up this particular matching point because Guitar Slim is black. And I, I want to give him some credit before Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. uh, although okay. all of this, of okay. course, is a large trend, a long time coming from musicians of various cultures and ethnicities. Yeah. I just, just kind of want to get everything in there, you know, for <clears throat> context. Ooh, context. Mmm, <laughs> water. Mmm, all out stout. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah and remember that's why we're doing this you can see when dave davies was doing his distortion at the same time race rights were happening at the same time we were getting involved with vietnam yeah instead of hashing it apart by stuff <laughs> right uh, but the next person i wanted to mention was paul burleson born 1929 passed away 2003 also want to mention he's a bog he was a boxer not sure why that's such a big deal, except, you know, there are other musicians. Sammy Hagar mm -hmm. was a boxer. And, and you know, I, I don't think he boxes now, but when he's younger, kind of neat. But he reworked Train Kept the Rolling into a rock song with Johnny Burnett and the Rock and Roll Trio in 1956. Yeah. And it's because it was initially, uh, I don't have that note, jazz, right? Here we go. Uh, first yeah. recorded by American Jazz. And rhythm and blues musician Tiny Bradshaw. Yeah. 1951. So, yep, a little bit of jazz, a little bit of blues, a little bit of rhythm and blues. And yeah. Yeah. Maybe, um, I, th I think maybe what they call jump blues, I'm not entirely sure, but yeah. All right. So, anyway, just want to mention that because it's an early example of intentionally distorted guitar through the use of vacuum tubes. Yeah. And notable by being the first song played by the members of Led Zeppelin when they got together to jam to see if they wanted to be the band. Yes. Uh, so, so to continue, uh, uh, before we get too sidetracked, there's Link Ray, Fred Lincoln Ray Jr., born 1929, passed away 2005. Mm -hmm. Rumble was a hit that was uh, featured distorted guitar 1958. Yeah. Although he had already been using distortion and he popularized the power chord and was one of its earliest users. Cool. So the Kings. <laughs> uh-huh using your power cord with you really got me which jody went into a bit of detail in our distortion episode so go back and listen to it if you want yeah well and it's it's um it's coming up actually in this episode since since we're rehashing some of this awesome woohoo sweet no no the kinks <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll get there too in a second soon a second yeah uh there's roger mayer who worked for the british admiralty who uh -huh. offered to make guitar effects for Jimmy Page this year, 1964 year. Right. It was also used by the Yardbirds and PJ Proby. Mm -hmm. Not just Jimmy Page used them, but also Big Jim Sullivan and Jeff Beck. Yep. Uh, also noted for next year's 1965, 
I can't get no satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. Although Keith Richards is usually gung-ho on not using effects pedals, the effect pedal for that particular song was the Mastro Fuzz Tone FZ1 and was created by Nashville, Tennessee studio engineer Glenn Snotty, who passed away uh, two and a half years ago. It came about when a bad transformer during a 1960 session for country singer Marty Robbins that it created an odd sound in the console for the guitar solo, and mm -hmm. Snotty convinced them to leave it in the recording, and it became a big hit. Uh, so Nancy Sinatra asked for the secret, so 1961, Snotty invented a box, duplicated it. Cool. Going back to the kinks, and you really got me. Dun, 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 um, dun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the main riff of the song. Dun, dun, uh, dun, dun. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> uh, the main riff of the song was inspired by a, a jazz song called The Train and the River. Not, not Train Kept It Rolling. Um, and not Old Main River. It, right. Uh, the Train and the River by Jimmy um, Jeffrey. So uh, Ray Davies was uh, messing around with the riff on the family piano and his brother Dave who was the lead guitarist in the Kinks, um, played it on the guitar. I played what Ray was playing on the piano on the guitar and or the, the song for the song. You really got me was, was born. According to the song's producer, Shell Tommy from uh, the U S um, he had picked up several tricks from studios in Los Angeles, which were used to make the song even more powerful, including recording two guitar parts, one distorted and one clean kicking Dave's poor amplifier to make it sound even rougher. <laughs> poor amplifier. Yeah, and using a 12 microphone setup to record the drums, you know, get from all sorts of different angles and, and stuff like that. Uh, according to guitarist Dave Davies, he was a fan of surf rock and the band The Ventures and picked up from them the use of the three-fingered, uh, the use of three-fingered bar chords or the power chord yeah and so what he said was we didn't have guitar roadies in those days because you got to remember they're they're playing clubs in london they're not a big band yet they haven't had their big break we didn't have guitar roadies in those days so we'd be on stage and the tuning used to go sometimes the bottom strings would stay in tune better so instead of playing a full chord you just hit the bottom three strings it made the guitar sound so much tougher and bassier you can count on that yeah you know, like Count Basier. <laughs> so there was another reason to use the power chords with distortion. I, one which I am not sure of either of the Davies brothers uh, thinking about at the time. Um, in an article published in Metal Music Studies titled Tracking Timbral Changes in Metal Production from 1990 to 19... Or <laughs> From 1990 to 2003, uh, researcher Duncan Williams of the University of Plymouth in the UK mentions the, quote, additional harmonics created by the distortion effects tend to cause timbral mud if third notes are included. Hence, most metal riffs are based on the ubiquitous power chord, a chord with no major or minor thirds, comprised instead of root, fifth, and octave, end quote. Yes, it's also mentioned by musicologist Joe Harrington as an influence on the three-chord genre, a.k.a. the one-four-five chord progression. Mm -hmm. And Brian May even says, on the kinks, I think really Ray Davies 
and Dave Davies kind of planted the seed, which grew into riff-based music. And of course, yeah. that song came in at number one in the UK and number one in the US. Yeah, it was a huge hit for them. As was, even if not quite as big, yeah. when it was released October 23rd, because we're kind of jumping ahead because it, it goes with it. The Kings yeah. released All Day and All the Night. Yeah. Which I know not only from the song, but also Bill Murray, <laughs> Harold <laughs> Ramis, <laughs> uh, Stripes. Yep. September, going back to September, because we've already kind of, we, we mentioned something from September earlier. Um, Labor Day weekend, so the first weekend in September 1964, a Hell's Angels run to spend the weekend in uh, Monterey, California, leads to sensationalist headlines after several angels were arrested for gang raping, quote unquote, two teenage girls. According to Hunter S. Thompson, who wrote about the incident in his book, Hell's Angels, A Strange and Terrible Saga, the district attorney eventually had the charges dismissed because the girls were not found to be credible. But by then, the media had had a field day with the story and politicians in California, as I scroll down here, politicians in California were ranting about the dangers of outlaw bikers. As Thompson says in his book, politicians like editors and cops are very keen on outrage stories. <laughs> as we will see, this is not the last time a subculture runs into something like this. And as we have seen recently, yes, outrage stories. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, getting, getting off of the tangent back to, to what we're... Well, kind of, but it's all about context and talking about yeah. what happened in 64 and what happened in 2020. Yeah. So, uh, but September 20th, mm -hmm. the... OBOD, the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids, is founded in England during the autumnal equinox. Mm -hmm. So now we're getting into some weird religious pagan stuff because we want to give culture Yay! across the board, and we likes it. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, it's partially based on Gorsed, a Welsh group of modern-day bards, based on Celtic Druidry, which is founded in 1792 by Kimri, meaning Welsh, uh, Edward Williams, a.k.a. Lalu Morganaug, uh, Obed itself split from the ancient Druid order, which was founded in 1909 by George McGregory. Uh, uh -huh. It was at least Scottish, hence Celtic, even if really Celto-British. Mm -hmm. And their practices include, but are not limited to, ancestral worship and polytheism. As a reminder, bards were the professional storytellers and music composers of the ancient Celts, and don't let them write satire about you because you're fucked if they do. Yes. And I would like to point out also that whether it was founded in 1792, 1909, or 1964, none of you fuckers really know what the fuck the Druids did. Nope. <laughs> so it doesn't matter to go for it. I've been in a Druid group, like an official member for a while. I wasn't for more than, I think, two years because it just... You know, you had people who were like, I know exactly what the Druids were doing, and, and I'm descended directly from Druids from 60 generations ago. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, should we move on to October 25th? Yes, yes, we should. All right. In that case, we'll also move on to the Rolling Stones, whose first appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show was on October 25th due to their second album, 12 by 5, whose single... Time is on my side, released the previous month, charted at number six in the U.S. 
Yeah. Andrew Andrew Lou Goldham, Rolling Stones manager who pushed for this appearance, also worked as a publicist for the Beatles. Yeah. And I know we've talked about the Beatles in 1964 in yeah. a previous episode, and probably I don't know if we do again here or not, but we've also talked about the Beatles in Zeppelin episodes. So we have, yes. Yeah. It's kind of hard not to talk about the Beatles when you're talking about that era. A little, little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and sometime in October, we don't have an exact date. Um, Dr. Robert Moog, it's, it's spelled Moog, <laughs> M-O-O-G, but I do believe it is pronounced Moog, um, demonstrates the Moog synthesizer prototype. And because his name is Dr. Moog and yeah. is a synth, I always think of Dr. Teeth from the Muppets when I picture anyone playing a Moog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, except for douglas of course from our high school band who we've mentioned yeah. but he was jazzed because at one of the shows he got to borrow a moog from a piano teacher or somebody and he, he's like i'm gonna bring a moog oh my fucking god and it, <laughs> it sounded good it was really good yeah yeah but it, it was the first synthesizer so you know and that introduced an entirely new era into of music so I don't have exact dates for this, just sometime in late 1964. Former Glaswegian George Young, uh, mentioned early in the last episode on 1964 that we did, um, who was at this point living in Sydney, Australia, forms a band called the Easy Beats um, with some of his friends from there, all of whom are also immigrants to Australia after signing with J. Albert and Son Productions, the Easy Beats would experience Beatlemania-style success in Australia and some success in both the UK and the US. A, a kind of an example of this is um, George's younger brother, Angus Young, was coming home from school one day. And as he walks down the street, he sees the police out in front of the house trying to corral a bunch of fans waiting outside the the young's home because a magazine leaked the address so Oops. he yeah so angus thinks he's going to sneak around the back and come in through the back door and some of the kids see him and follow him around the back and over the back fence and he barely gets in in the house running for his life and closes the door before they get inside <laughs> Whew, good thing you got those little tiny short pants on yes yes uh, angus young of course is the lead guitarist for acdc uh the easy beats success is limited however and they will break up um in 1969 with george young and fellow easy beats guitarist harry vanda becoming record producers for jay albert and sons and we do have an exact date for this. On November 3rd, Lyndon Johnson wins the presidential election. It's yep. not a re-election because he had previously finished out JFK's term. Yes. Going to forgo all the duck jokes and <laughs> happily eat a couple M&Ms while Jody moves on to November 6th. Okay. Yes. November 6th, Belfast, Northern Ireland, banned them, fronted by Van Morrison, released the single Baby Please Don't Go um, with the B-side of Gloria. It's an early form of garage rock, which would also be an influence on later hard rock and metal bands and punk, and was a prime example of the do-it-yourself ethos that would drive a lot of hard rock, metal, and punk bands in the later 60s and uh, 70s. 
Baby Please Don't Go was a blues tune credited to Big Joe Williams and was first recorded by him in 1935. Uh, the song can be traced back to late 19th century work songs dealing with themes of bondage and imprisonment. Um, in Big Joe Williams' version, he's a prisoner begging his wife not to move away and leave him behind while he serves his time. The song would be recorded several times over the years by a variety of blues and rock artists, most notably in 1953 by Muddy Waters. Them's version was, however, based more on a 1949 recording titled Don't Go by John Lee Hooker, billed as Texas Slim, um, so instead of using his, uh, his own name. The B-side was an original composition by Van Morrison called Gloria. Its simple chorus of G-L-O-R-I-A and three-chord pattern made it an easy song to learn. Or as Jimi Hendrix would sing it, Oh, bitch, you go on out my hoo Yes, what you and Jimmy said. <laughs> um, both songs would be hits in the UK, but only Gloria was a hit in the US as Baby Please Don't Go was not released in the US until later. Uh, and, and, you know, we just talked about um, George Young and Angus Young and, you know, the Easy Beats and ACDC. Um, Baby Please Don't Go was an early single by ACDC as well. And probably my favorite rendition of the song honestly wait what's the band we're talking about van morrison's band them i i know but what's the name <sighs> talk about smacking somebody upside the head <laughs> oh but other notable garage songs <laughs> included uh -huh. sam sham and the pharaohs woolly bully and 1965 and Tons of artists, including yeah. Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Nettie Cochran, who also wrote the song Summertime Blues, which will come up in a not so distance, distance, not so distant episode in conjunction with the band called Blue Cheer, which we will get to probably also in either like the main podcast or if we ever get to this year of heavy metal hard rock. Yeah. <laughs> So on either December 4th or December 31st, again, there's a discrepancy in the dates. <laughs> and there is, but those are so close, you know, who's to know? Well, yeah. So, so sometime whole... in December of uh, 1964, the Yardbirds, who we've, we've mentioned, release their debut album, Five Live Yardbirds, having, having taken over the Rolling Stone spot at the Crawdaddy Club in October 1963, the Yardbirds had become a favorite of the London blues scene. Comprised of Keith Relf on vocals and harmonica, Paul Samuel Smith on bass, Jim McCarty on drums, Chris Dreja on rhythm guitar, and Eric Slowhand Clapton on lead guitar. Hey, plimsolls! <laughs> uh, the band's manager, Giorgio Gomelski, used the minor success generated by the singles I Wish You Would and Good Morning Little School Girl to convince Columbia Records to release a live album as the band's debut. The recording took place in March of 1964 at the Marquee Club, soon to become an important part of not just the British blues scene, but rock and roll in general. Part of the Yardbirds' popularity was their use of the rave-up. Gomelski described the rave-up like this. A free-form instrumental passage that ended up in a furious acceleration, tripling, if not quadrupling, the beat to the original time. Very climactic. Um, according to Clapton, he would sometimes break a string during a rave-up. 
And while he was restringing his guitar, the audience would start slowly clapping, leaving manager, yeah, leading manager Gomelski to start calling Clapton Slowhand. A standout track from this album was their version of Howling Wolf's Smokestack Lightning, which Wolf himself reportedly called the definitive version. Nice. And of course, plimsolls being a nickname for Clapton because he was a fancy dresser and would wear plimsolls, the shoes, and people made fun of that. Yeah. And just a little quick point is, at what point does rock and roll become rock? Well, we're already in it. Didn't realize we crossed over. But we have. Yeah, yeah. That's that's you know, I mean, kind of. When do you? When do you? When does it stop being Elvis? you know, that, that kind of sound with Elvis, Chuck Berry, Little Richard and those guys and something else. And yeah, by kind of, you know, by the end of 1964 with this British invasion, the sound had kind of shifted some had become something, but nobody really realized it until later. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of one of those hindsight things. If you look back at it and you go, Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I see how it was influenced, but it's different. Yeah. Influenced by those guys and them guys (laughs) yeah and and i think we have an episode coming up sometime on differences between rock and heavy metal and sort of how it crosses over and yeah don't know when (laughs) just eventually yeah that may be within the next 200 episodes (laughs) (laughs) that's really it for the big things but we did have a few cultural things to round out the year in law uh in in June, the U.S. Supreme Court decided that the book Tropic of Cancer by Henry Miller is not obscene and can be legally distributed in the United States. Yes. Woo. First Amendment kicks ass. Yes. Yes, it does. And speaking of obscenity things, Lenny Bruce, Uh who had Uh been arrested multiple times for obscenity starting in October 1961, but the last time was in 1964 in April and went to court. He was sentenced in December 1964. But he was set free upon appeal and died in 1966 before the appeal process finished. Oh. Instead of that, moving on to literature. Uh huh. <laughs> in August, author Ian Fleming, creator of James Bond. I was waiting for that. Which, by the way, uh, has guitar work by Big Jim Sullivan and Little Jimmy Page and there a bit. Actually, I've got more on. Ooh, you know, there's actually more than that. I had something else. Started to say it. Got James Bond episodes coming up. I'm a wait. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Ian Fleming, creator of James Bond, dies one day after suffering a heart attack in August mm-hmm. with You Only Live Twice. I, I I see the yeah hystericalness there. Uh, had just been published in March. Um, I, I just totally went over my head. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we do have a few episodes of James Bond coming up soon. This is another book that was published this year, although I could not find a date. Um, William S. Burroughs published his book Nova Express. Um, which I think we will mention at some point in some episode when we talk about the history of heavy metal, because Nova Express has one of the first uses of the term heavy metal in pop culture. And, and I think it was November 9th. I, I 
looked as we were getting ready for this. And oh, okay, I, okay. And so anyway, in in comic books that were published this year, um, in March, Avengers number four was the first Silver Age appearance of Captain America. So yay, woohoo, Cap! Joey's yeah. favorite. Yes, April. 1964 daredevil number one was published and uh both of those were by marvel and then july dc comics publishes the brave and the bold number 54 uh which was the first team up of what would be eventually become the teen titans and tri-state con which is now new york comic-con uh was held this year considered the first true comic book convention uh, it was uh, held at the Workman's Circle building in New York. And for movies, Goldfinger uh -huh. and From Russia with Love came out, both being James Bond movies. Yes. Although we're going to start with Casino Royale, unless Jody wants to jump in front and do something else. <laughs> uh, no. My first James Bond episode, well, won't be movies. It'll be something cool. Anyway, but the first movie one will be Casino Royale. But also... Mary Poppins, My Fair Lady, mm -hmm. Fistful of Dollars, yep. A Hard Day's Night, The Pink Panther, da -dun, da -dun, da -dun. Viva uh, Las Vegas. Two, so, so two, two, actually three, three movies in a row right there that you just mentioned, Hard Day's Night, Pink Panther, and Viva Las Vegas with awesome songs. And of course, Dr. Strangelove or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Yep. I, I would just, I also just like to point out, you mentioned a fistful of dollars. That was Clint Eastwood starring in uh, spaghetti Western Sergio Leone. Don't know. I just directed know that spaghetti one. Western because it's Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was made in Italy. Um, that movie was a Western remake of the Japanese samurai film, Yojimbo directed by Akira Kurosawa. There's also and how I get a hold of my dad. Yo, Jimbo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he loves it when you do that, too. No, just that. Well, he can't hear it half the time, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, in television on in 1964, NBC starts broadcasting most shows in color. First interracial kiss on television is shown on a British show named Emergency, Ward 10. It predates the famous kiss on Star Trek between Captain Kirk and Lieutenant Uhura by four years. Yeah, but if it didn't happen in America, it doesn't count. It, yeah, apparently that's what a lot of people think. <laughs> <laughs> um, in December, the, the Rankin-Bass, uh, who were also known for 1977's The Hobbit, uh, but their claymation classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, debuts on NBC. Uh, she also... I'm cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also debuting uh, is the game show Deputy. <laughs> also debuting <laughs> is the game show Jeopardy. <laughs> the show Shindig came out. Uh, Bewitched debuted. Elizabeth Montgomery. Oh. <laughs> the Adams Family TV series. Oh, Morticia Adams. Yeah, I, I, I got I got something about her. I'll I'll, I'll throw in here in just a second. Um, the cartoon Johnny Quest. I love that one. I hated that one. Really? I thought it was great. 
I hated Johnny Quest. Um, the Monsters also debuted, as well as Gilligan's Island and uh, the cartoon Underdog. Nice. And uh, yeah, and the Twilight Zone ended in 1964. So, uh, so I, just just real quick, uh, I've I got the uh, recently I bought the box set of the 1970s Wonder Woman TV series, and I for some reason every time they did episodes that took place on Paradise Island, where they had to show her her mother, Queen Hippolyta they recast the actress the the second time she was in the series it was carolyn jones who played morticia in the adams family tv series neat. yeah so um i just i wasn't even thinking about that and then all of a sudden i was like oh shit morticia carolyn jones <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i just throw that out there anyway but anyway so i got to ask you why don't you yeah. like johnny quest I, I have no idea i just don't uh, it's fair. I, I loved it. So just adventure, action, sort of weird, spooky stuff. Half the time, science. I, I mean, I what was it? it was Hanna Barbera. I, it's not like I didn't like Hanna Barbera cartoons. For some reason Johnny Quest just, I don't know. I just don't like it. It's weird. I don't like Hanna Barbera when it's the weird, you know, Snagglepuss and Yogi, and and I don't like those. But I liked that and and that sort of more the the better animation um i'm trying to the herculoids right yeah herculoids and space ghost space ghost i love space ghost herculoids johnny quest i like that more scooby-doo yeah i like scooby-doo i did like scooby-doo a lot yeah now well are you ready to move on i am all right and finally noticeable noticeable (laughs) somebody noticed him (laughs) alice cooper's very noticeable (laughs) Uh, notable bands so Alice Cooper was the last band I saw before the pandemic hit. And also, before we get there, I'd like to mention that Alice Cooper, the band, was discussed in our Corpse Pain episode. Yes. Yes, they were. One of our very, very first episodes. Yes. Uh, but I mean, like one of the first five. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so in 1964, Alice Cooper, who was still the band and not the man yet, formed the Amboy Dukes, which included Ted Nugent. And they were named yep. after a Jewish gang from New York City. Yes. And we we mentioned, we, we were talking about Baby Please Don't Go. They also recorded a version of it. I, I just find it amusing that Ted Nugent, who happens to be one of the most conservative rock stars ever, was in a band named after a Jewish gang from liberal New York City. I Something tells me he did not know where that name came from. <laughs> well, maybe 1964, New York City wasn't the liberal bastion it is now. I don't know. I'm not really sure where it was on the spectrum or if it was, you know. I have no idea. I wasn't around. Well, I wasn't in this body, but let's not get into that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The Barbarians, Mm proto-punk. Leonard Skinner formed this year. Yep. Uh, MC5, a proto-punk and garage band who would influence metal. Yeah, yeah. Velvet Underground, which is proto-punk and art rock. Yeah. Ooh, Duchess Art Rock. <laughs> Ooh, how avant-garde. Yeah. Yeah. I, Velvet Underground is a big influence on people. I also do not particularly get into them, but yeah. But, but you know, teach their own, whatever. The Trogues of Wild Thing fame, which would be in 1966, also formed this year. Yes. That is what we had for 1964 for the original podcast idea. 
a heavy metal and hard rock history podcast. But we kept the context and the heavy metal. (laughs) (laughs) In a bit of the history. Yeah, well, yeah, just each episode has like a specific thing instead of just a broad swath. Yeah, yeah, because it was it was it was really a pain in the ass trying to do what we were trying to do. (laughs) (laughs) Hope you enjoyed it and we hope you've enjoyed the 200 episodes or at least some of the 200 episodes that we've done. Yeah, we've enjoyed doing them. Certainly have. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, before we go the way of Twilight Zone and end this year. Do you have anything? I'm good. Like we did our thing, but uh, if you if you have something for 200th or anything you want to talk about, um, no, no, I'm 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 good. I'm good. I said all I wanted to say. Because if I don't stop, we'll wind up on some weird tangent. In that case, <laughs> rate us, review us, find us on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, like uh, like a dozen different places. Yeah, and Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, you know, places. But yeah. we hope you've enjoyed us. Mm-hmm. Share us, rate us, whatever. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Uh, for the for the 200th time, plus a couple for episode zero in life, I'm James. <laughs> I'm Jody. <laughs> and we'll still keep talking to you soon. Yeah. Bye. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. Wait, that's not the tune. <laughs> that's what I started. I don't know what the hell that was. I was going to say something about it, except for the terrors religion, because we're the only two in it. <laughs> we worship ourselves. I mean, you know. All hail the mighty Seamus. <laughs> you got all sorts of time. I got, I got goofing off on Hero Forge to do. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>